Everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to enjoy the new Dune movies. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Jason. I'm not going on. I'm not going on the record with any more literary illusions. I'm getting. I'm, I've suffered too much in recent weeks. I, I, I'm illiterate. I can't. I can't read at all. And by UK wrestling announcer legend and noted tape deck voice actor Neil Bradbury. Yeah, I don't think I have the skills for it. We cover Roger Deakins' second foray into animated features, 2011's ILM animation debut, Rango. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps new listeners find the show. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado... Rango. Neil. Hello. What's happening, my friend? <laughs> Hello. Uh, no, not much. <laughs> just, um, just trying not to dehydrate. Trying not to uh, actually melt while I'm on the recording. So yeah. So when oh we just what I'm doing at the moment. When we said that you know we wanted you to come on Dune Pod, we did not expect that you would require that UK would turn into Arrakis. Yeah, what's going on over there, my guy? I do not know. It's it's we 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 are not built for this weather in England. We are built to wear big coats and be in the rain and grumble. And uh-huh. when there's any sun, the country basically shuts down. So it's not it's not going well for us over here. So can you yeah. even have tea when it's a hundred degrees out? Is that even a, is that even an option at these temperatures? <laughs> Well, usually what happens around this time is that people will make you a cup of tea and someone will say, oh, do you know hot drinks are actually better when you're warm? That's a bit of kind of like... Self-hatred? It's like when people say, yeah, I think it's 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 one of those facts that everyone kind of knows. It's like when people say, oh, do you know the guy in ZZ Top whose surname was Beard was the only one without a beard? You know, it's that kind of... <laughs> I didn't know that. Everyone kind of knows it. That's a new fact to me. That's I've new, already learned something. That's a, is that the drummer? There we go. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I think so. I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like, it, it, yeah, a lot. It, it's it's a bit of information a lot of people tell you as if they're telling you it for the first time, which I which I enjoy. So. Well, it's good you've got the warm ales as well. The warm ales also are are cooling. I am sure. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a nice head on top of that warm ale. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's it's it's. Um, I mean, we we British drink. We drink quite a lot at the best of times, and I think when it's hot, people are like, well, let's have a let's drink beer because it's a fluid, and <laughs> that's obviously going to hydrate us. And then, um, and then yeah. we end up in this situation where, uh, yeah, we end up lots of drunk people uh, on the streets, which is which is which should be okay so far today. But the weekend was was interesting. It seems tough. I mean the the hottest day in English history. Airports, the runways are melting. Their bridges are being wrapped with tinfoil. It just seems like uh, it's questionable. So we wish you good luck, sir. Thank you. No, I, it's like it's, it's like because because the movie we're going to talk about, Rango, is very much about like heat and dehydration. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to view it yes. as like like methods. You know, I'm like Daniel Day Lewis over here, the Daniel Day Lewis of podcasting. Okay. But I don't Perfect. know if that's quite. Uh, that's how I'm trying to. 
put a good spin on it because I'm not necessarily doing. We admire your commitment to the bit. Nice. Well, we we're so thrilled to have you, Neil, joining us. And you mentioned our our film tonight is Rango, uh, which we chose because you have stand this movie so hard for so long um, across all possible discords. Um, and we were just talking about it last week in the 70 millimeter discord. Um, and we had a last minute opportunity to get you on. And so yeah. uh, we are going for it. So we are covering tonight Roger Deakins' second ever foray into animated mm. features with 2011's Rango, streaming now, Jason, on HBO Max exclusively. Yeah, I got to watch it for free. Mm. I mean, you know, yes. right, free with purchase. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and Neil, so just so folks know, I mean, obviously they're hearing your, your beautiful voice. So um, I met you years ago via the Paper Keg podcast and the Paper Keg crew. Yeah. Yeah. And so to just let the folks know who you are. You are obviously the famous voice of Synonauts, uh, the intro credits there. On a mission to explore the far reaches of cinema, three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Synonauts. Yes. Yeah. I How think- did you get that gig? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people feel Synonauts peaks in the introduction and then it's all just downhill from there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I th- right. it, it, it's, it's an interesting one, I think, because, um, as you say, I knew Ian and Catcher from the, uh, Paper Cake mm. Discord. And, um, I think obviously me and, and, and my, our friend Dirk of the Movie Mixtape podcast, uh, the two, like the British yeah. contingent. In, uh, in in paper keg and I think if you have a British accent it, it sounds it sounds like you know I, I guess a little sort of like I don't know I don't want to say classy but it sounds like you're more clever classy, than you actually for are sure. so I think, more criterion yeah. yeah so I think uh, Ian and Catcher were uh, were just like yeah should we get Neil to do it and they asked me and I was yeah I was very I was I, yeah jumped at the chance so I was very excited to do that you also have a background as a wrestling announcer. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the sort of the side hustle. Yeah, it's that's a fun thing. Yeah. So I've been doing that for a little while. I, I started doing that for uh, a company called Grand Pro Wrestling, which was about, well, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how long ago it was because of the pandemic's effect on time. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I feel like the last two, if like going into lockdown for the first time, if you, it could have been two weeks ago, it could have been 10 years ago. I, I have no track of it anymore. But I've, I've been, yeah, I've been doing that for a little while. And that's uh, that's that's where I met Dirk, who put me onto Paper Keg, which mm. is the journey that's ultimately culminated in me being here today. So, you know. Amazing. Well, maybe by the end of the episode, you can give us a, an announcement of Paul Muad'Dib, uh, the Kwisatz Haderach <laughs> and impending yeah, emperor of the, of the galaxy. <laughs> mm. I'll, yeah, I'll see if I could. Yeah, we'll, yeah. <laughs> I think if I was, if he was at a wrestling thing, they might ask him to like shorten that name a little because that's like a lot for people to remember. It's a lot to fit on like a t-shirt, but like, uh-huh, I think okay, it's, okay. yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. that would work. I think you can do that. Usul, the strength of the pillar. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, we are really uh, Americus. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. excited. All right. Well, we're going to do it. Um, we are thrilled to have you here. And before we get into the main event uh, of this, we have quite a bit of business to do. So I would like for us to go ahead and just get straight 
into it, starting with Jason has a correction to make. Oh, Jesus. I knew you were going to lead with this. Uh, So last week we watched Southland Tales, uh, which just in and of itself was a shambles. All praise (laughs) to great guest Kev. Love Kev. Movie was a wreck. And in Southland Tales, uh, Justin Timberlake uh, says this inverted quote of this is how the way this is the way the world ends, not with a whimper, but a bang. Uh, and age was like, Oh, like what's that from? And I gave him a hard time. Like, Oh, it's the wasteland again, age. Cause we'd previously, <laughs> um, talked about TSL in the wasteland and H not knowing it, but it turns out, of course, that is not the wasteland. That is the hollow man by TS Eliot. Uh, mm. my misidentifying it, just another example of TS Eliot's antisemitism. <laughs> I don't know why Warner Christian Academy's, uh, you know, uh, criteria of what should be covered between second grade and ninth grade did not include T.S. Eliot, but it didn't yeah. happen. So, you never read um, T.S. Eliot. What about after ninth grade? And it's more of like a 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Or did you not go to those grades? Uh, <laughs> well, the first time or the, or the last time most recently? Uh, yeah, exactly. One of your one of your reincarnations. <laughs> That's right. I was with uh, in school with T.S. Eliot uh, the first time. All right. That so makes that, sense. So so I accept your your apology, Jason. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, now that the record is straight and speaking of continuing to set the yes. record straight. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Dispatches from the war of Elon's aggression. <laughs> fire. All right. Fire. Fire had spread <laughs> along the front. There was calamity and chaos. Man was crying for his mother. Uh, it's an eventful time in the War of Elon's aggression. Um, it's really exciting. Uh, so the trial uh, has started. Um, they were in court in the Delaware Court of Chancery uh, today on the topic of when will the trial happen. Uh, and it is... Twitter seeking to do an expedited trial. They were looking to do a four-day trial in September. Elon said, these issues are so complex, we must call many, many witnesses, uh, and we will not do it until next year, and it must last 14 days. Um, And uh, the judge heard these arguments uh, and largely sided with Twitter. And the trial now will be happening for a five-day trial in October in Delaware. Buy your tickets to Wilmington now. Uh, It's going to happen. It's very exciting. Yeah, and Jason, I believe you were reporting, uh, you know, starting your your court reporting, and you had a transcript of the ruling of the judge to Elon's lawyer. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, like they got toasted, right? They got toasted. toasted. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so it's an interesting situation because by and large, everyone. Uh, believes that this is going to settle, including myself, um, mm. because even though the case seems very one sided and the hearing today suggests the case is very one sided, uh, like the judge largely agreed with Twitter, like the, the judge's ruling for having the, the trial when it is, is largely based on uh, Twitter's arguments and didn't really give credence to any of Elon's arguments presented. Uh, and they weren't having an argument on the merits of the case, but just like the general tone already seems to be like, this is a bunch of bullshit. You signed a contract. Let's go. It's going to cause irreparable harm to delay this. We're going to figure this out quickly. I trust you guys. We'll figure this out and let's just fucking go. Um, everyone believes this is going to settle, though, because it's it's just too much to risk. But what if it doesn't settle? 
Like, what if they go to trial and Twitter actually successfully sues Elon to buy for $44 billion this company that not only that he doesn't want, that none of his brilliant friends who talked him into doing it, no, none of them think it's a good idea anymore. The employees right. don't think it's a good idea. No one thinks it's a good idea. But he may have to go and sell a bunch of Tesla stocks and take a bunch of loans from banks that don't want to give him these loans anymore because he signed this definitive agreement. Uh, back in April. It's just an amazing turn of events. And like, if you think about it in terms of just uh, expected value, like uh -huh. what's the percentage, what's the percentage likelihood? Like the reason why Twitter would settle is because their board is a bunch of wimps and they folded to this acquisition offer in the first place sure. uh, without, without, you know, with, without any real process. Um, it was just like, fuck it. We're, we're getting out. So maybe, maybe that's what they'll do. Maybe that's what they'll do here as well. But on just an expected value basis, if there's a 10% chance, let's say there's a 10% chance they get $0 out of going to trial. And there's a 90% chance that they get the $44 billion purchase price that Elon has to buy it for. That means the expected value of that outcome is still $40 billion. So them getting like $2 billion in settlement doesn't really equal that as long as they're willing to play chicken with the craziest, richest person in the world, which they're probably not willing to do. Ah, damn. Well, I, I, for the first time, was feeling really hopeful. Uh, you've sobered me somewhat uh, in this moment, <laughs> but I'm still dreaming uh, that Elon will be punched in the face and be ordered to pay like a pay, like a five billion dollar, um, you know, damages, and then be done. No, this is what what we want to have happen at this point is that for to ruin this fucking turnip. We want him to have to go sell a bunch of his Tesla stock and buy for $44 billion with a bunch of loans. The loans are also underwater. The banks will lose money on writing him the loans, which is amazing because interest rates have gone up since the financing commitments. We want everyone involved in this to be fucking to be punished. Just get wrecked. Uh, and is that a good outcome for Twitter, the company? No, it's horrible. But so fucking what? We are in it for the petty outcome at this point. Max Petty. <laughs> I was going to say, can Elon still get punched in the face if that happens? I mean, that's, I feel that's like still available. That I, that's yeah, still available. That's still what I want to get in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do think, Jason, you are now, you've arrived at full Paul Atreides Dune part two mode. Uh, yeah. Rel 60, billion, 60 billion people must die in order <laughs> for there to be justice in this case. To set it right. Well, we'll stay tuned. Uh, you know, we love, uh, you know, the, the legal team over at Twitter. Great people. We love all mm -hmm. of the staff. We will continue to, uh, to support All those people are going to leave regardless, though. Like, uh, we love all those people. All those people are going to need to go get new, better jobs anyway. Because, like, this this whole situation isn't going to work out even if Elon walks away. It's going to, this an this is going to be like a wounded animal in the woods after this is done. So all of our friends who are there are going to have to get new jobs anyway. The only positive outcome is is max punishment for this fucking turkey. Okay. Turn up turkey, whatever, whatever it takes. All right. I, I do love the fact that Mikey P is like ratting out Neil tweeting in the events channel. This is, this is awesome. That's fine. Like no one of, needs to listen to this part. The, the kind of brotherhood that we, that we get. <laughs> I, uh, well, listen, how about if we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? We got some real ass Dune news going on right now. Um, I already forgot. I didn't even put it in the notes, so I'll just say it now. Neil, I know you are a miniatures gaming person. 
and it was announced there's new yes. like Battle for Dune or War for Dune or whatever it's called, but there's a miniature skirmish game coming. Mm. Oh, okay. So like a you like a, a Warhammer <laughs> type thing or a, like a yes, like, yeah, yeah. So you put okay. your Fremen against my Sardaukar and the and the Harkonnens and whatever. So that's come on games. It's coming soon. Uh, I'll try and find some details and we'll we'll tweet that out and people can check that out. Mm, that's very exciting. Mm. Yes, mm. maybe maybe we'll play that uh, in person next year. Second piece of Dune news. Jason, we talked about filming starting last week, but we got the official declaration of filming yes. starting this week. Yeah, we saw a slate. We got a slate, and we also got a official synopsis of Dune Part 2 was published. I don't know why that was necessary. But From them? Like an offic- yeah, there's like an official Dune 2 synopsis. Uh, oh. Wait, we can edit this part out. I thought oh. somebody just made that up. I didn't realize that no, no, was no. the official synopsis. That, that was like put out there as like a as like a real thing. Someone well, that's a big deal. If that's the real if that is the real synopsis. Here we go. From the press release. This follow-up film will explore the mythic journey of Paul Atreides as he unites with Chani and the Fremen while on a warpath of revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family. Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the known universe, he endeavors to prevent a terrible future only he can foresee. Can he or will he Dune part two? (laughs) You're a natural, buddy. Yeah, Uh, it's fun. I get why you like doing these synopses. It really makes you feel powerful. You know how like <laughs> Star Wars has the crawl at the start of the movies? Can June Part Two just have you reading that out, like a little sort of like? Yes. And it could just cut to you Denny, doing dramatic reading of that because I think that you have my email. Get in yeah. touch. I've got this microphone. I'm ready to record whatever you need at any location throughout Northern California. But that's actually a really big deal. Like the extent to which they have placed Chani at the heart of Part Two yes. is huge. Yes, there was. I was. I was offline. Uh, a lot this this morning, but I believe there is an extended discussion and debate about how accurate a reading of uh, the the second book or what it the difference between what that says and what um, we Herbert understand wrote. the book to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some this is the kind of analysis you could get if you were in our Discord, which you should join if you're listening to this podcast. Yes, but the point is when Dune came out, Dune Part One came out, and we watched it we universally hailed essentially every decision Denny made to change or adjust yeah. the, the the book to the film. And this to me sounds like more of the same. We 100% trust him except for this Austin Butler thing, but it's going to be great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. I'm not nervous uh, about Austin Butler. Okay. Second piece of Dune news. We had our first official uh unofficial set picks uh so there were shots of florence on set um and what was amazing to me is within like three hours of those pictures being taken someone had already created 3d renders of the image um of florence and of course all of that has been removed uh presumably at studio request weird (laughs) okay i still have (laughs) it on my you still have it it. of course (laughs) yeah of course. Also weird. Everything about uh, that Dune News update was weird. <laughs> uh, let me see. We shan't speak of it further. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, you mean like if we have it in the Discord, somebody's going to come make us get rid of it? I no, I mean like we shall not discuss further the like Florence Pugh pillow that you made at home and like <laughs> are not, out of out of Sam's dot Dune Two leaked footage. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, all right, so next piece of Dune news, we are chock a block here. Oh my god! So did you hear that, Jason? Dune Part Two, Soela Yacoub. Yes, I heard that. Joins the cast. Fedekin. Yes. Yeah, so she was in Gaspar Noe's Climax. Neil, have you seen mm. this? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm very undereducated in Gaspar Noe. I've not really seen any of their work. As I am I. Yeah, I have very I specifically I avoided not. everything that, that, that Gaspar has done uh, because I've heard it's very disturbing. Right here it's, yeah, cinema's endurance test is what I understand. It's not necessarily, <laughs> it's not a fun nice. watch. Yeah. Oh God. Because it's like when you get my problem with things like Gaspinari, it's like because when you get home from work and you've had a bit of a rubbish day and you want to just flump on the sofa, it's a bit like, shall I watch Rango again, or should I just bop on Gaspinari showing me the horrible degradations yeah, of humanity? Exactly. It's a bit like I'm exactly. going uh-huh. to watch the funny lizard, mate. I think I'm going to you know, <laughs> I'm going to watch Star Wars again. I think. So uh, yeah, I think you need to be in the right frame of mind for stuff like that, and it's a frame of mind I'm 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 rarely in. You need to be in a well, good mood that you're willing to ruin, I think, is the mood for, for Gaspar Noe. So. <laughs> yeah. That's the pull quote for the 4K release uh, of Climax. <laughs> uh, oh, I did pull up the trailer for it, and my wife walked in midway, and she was just like, looked at me, weird, like, what are you watching? What's happening? H so, will now be in a hotel next week. That's yeah. right. Uh, and so, but I do, I'm going to go ahead and pre-announce, we just booked our Climax episode oh coming in August, about one month from right now, and we are re-teaming with the crew from Dune Pod's face-off episode. Do they know this? They do know this. Ian DeBorja okay. and Sophie. It's going to be okay. incredible. Does, he, does Ian know that we're doing Climax? Ian already agreed. He thought it was weird that you and I were covering Climax. Okay. So Does everyone think it's weird? Does someone think it's a good idea that we're covering Climax? Anybody? Is this another Southland Tales situation? Is there more overlap between Face Off and Climax? I mean, it's just like I don't get quite the, why question. the same team is being employed. Is it? Yeah. Is it, is it <laughs> ask the questions. Ask the questions. <laughs> Try to they, puzzle out the madness here. Listen, the booking, the booking algorithm is very complicated. I was talking to Sophie about it. I offered yeah. her, I offered her like yeah. twenty movies um, to pick, and a lot of Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Christopher Walken, and then I threw Climax at the end, and she immediately selected it. However, mm. Ian. Four years ago, when Climax came out, Ian, this was like the first A24 super repin movie for Ian DeBorja. So I did not want to do it without him. Um, and so I invited him to join us. And they had together done, I don't know, I don't remember why they did Face Off together, but um, but it was classic. It was, so. it was another fucking weird thing that you did where you booked yeah. one of them and then you were just like, oh, someone else is like someone else showed up as a surprise. Like it's always it's always you. Oh, like the reason yeah, why yeah, something yeah, weird yeah. happens is always you. It's also yeah. because that time Ian and Sophie swapped faces and lived each as each other for a brief yeah, time. Yeah, right? so that they part had was that live that that first person right. experience of it. Can't that remember who was, was who. <laughs> all right. Uh, we only have two more pieces of Dune news to get to. First of all, Jason, the Super 7 store Lynch's Dune reaction figures were released this week. Yeah, I had resisted those when I first saw them. And then and? Corey said they were cool. And so then I bought them. <laughs> okay, good. Did you get them all? <laughs> yeah, nice. of course I bought them all. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay. I don't good know job. where they're going to go, but you know, whatever. It's fine. Just send me a picture. That's fine. Uh, yeah. really excited. Last piece of do news. Jason, Matt Griffin released his full artwork from the deluxe edition. Oh my God. Of Dune Messiah and children oh of Dune. God. These are gorgeous, man. These books are re- like these, these books are really pretty. Um, the, the artwork on these books, uh, is just great. They're in the they're in the books channel on Discord. Um, I just yeah, po- it, pasted it in there. It's like insane. Uh, the artwork is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, there's something very there's something very evocative about like the the one of like Paul on the throne, yeah. uh, in this like turquoisey color. It's just like it's so great. Like it it really it really is one of those things where you you see it and you're like, oh yeah, that's like the feeling of reading the book when like Paul is like alone when like Paul's like isolation as this prescient emperor. Um, it's great. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would, I would encourage folks to check out that art or even potentially purchase the books. If you are so inclined, I instantly pre-ordered. I have not bought a copy of Dune, uh, for a really long time, uh, since getting into this. So like, uh, I'm, this is my first one since the mm. pod. So I, I pre-ordered that box set. All right, well, let us uh, welcome a few new Discord friends, starting with Jay Shazilla. Mm-hmm. What's Gucci? Uh, what's Gucci Mozilla? Um, mm. Shiwan Lee? M- Megan, Megan, cut. Tim absolutely cut that. O- it's not a joke. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Leave it in. Double it. <laughs> Tim O'Thief. Tim O'Thief, back in the pod. Back in, uh, you know, from our Tenet episode. Yeah. Mm. Timothy is back. Jason, Jason, still recovering. Um, yeah, fi- I've, I've like I've gone somewhere else in my head. <laughs> Finally, the the uh, the the boldly named Paul Atreides nuts. <laughs> We're really having a moment right now. Uh, I did not see that one coming. Great, Neil. Your hatred of Dune is well known. Yeah. Uh, so, so bring us up to speed. Uh, on 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 my hatred of Dune, or mm. yeah, uh, I mean, I I mean <laughs> it's. I mean, I don't. I I I worry that people and your are going to show up in your your history. My history of Dune. I I mean, it's it it is something. I I mean, I will say on this pod, I will admit that it is something I play up a little because I think it's funny to annoy people. But it's sure. um, but it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I am a sci-fi fan uh, and I'm a geeky mm-hmm. person overall. And I think Dune, it kind of almost ended up, I think, occupying the same space to me. Unfortunately, that stuff like the Wheel of Time did when I tried mm. to read that, which is that. I feel like there's certain books that you kind of feel if you're a fan of the genre, you have to read. And I think Mm. that can unfortunately sometimes mean that when you're reading them, they can feel a little bit almost like homework. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's a little bit like you're reading it because, oh yeah, I'm a sci-fi fan. So so obviously I I have to read after I've read June. And I think June's very good. I like, I think the book's fine. I like the movie. I I think it's, it's a little, I I struggle a little with sci-fi that's very idealized ideas driven and maybe i'm selling june short a little bit there but i feel like like paul is not the most relatable protagonist and i think i because sh- because i'm a simple man i re- i struggle to i like to have like a relatable person in the lead i think i think i struggle a little bit with 
when it's someone like Paul who is so alien. And it's kind of like a, a fascinating read, but it's a little bit of a a chilly read for well, me. Well, sterile. the problem I was had with June. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, and it's, I think sterile is maybe selling it a bit short. I think maybe I'm being unfair there, but that's kind of, that's kind of the issue that I, I think I had with June. But I, I kind of feel like it's something that, because I've read it a few times, I think trying to get it to click, but I've never ventured into the books after it. So I think that might be what I need to try and do. I think if I sort of read like June Messiah and the other ones, I think that might be where I start to get into the the stuff that I'll enjoy. No, you're shaking your head. You know, I don't, stay I don't far think away so. from them. I, yeah. I don't think so. I, th- I think if you, if you didn't, <laughs> if you weren't vibing with Paul, um, you know, I don't think you will vibe with him more in Dune Messiah. Jason, am I right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, he doesn't become more, uh, you know, human. relatable and, and yeah. in in the, in the later books it is, I think it is cool for sure. It's definitely not like a, it's definitely not a story in which the protagonist is, um, you know, it, it's funny cause that like synopsis that they put out of like, oh, it's like, he's like trying to get revenge and navigating these things. Like it makes it seem more emotional than a lot mm. of uh than the way Paul comes across on the page, which is maybe good that they're kind of amping mm. that up for the movie. But so yeah, I don't I don't I don't blame your read on that. No, I Wheel do of time, the first... Wheel of Time is homework though, because it's like literally like, you know, a billion pages long. So like that's that is like, you know, an actual it's, assignment. It's so long. I mean one of my favorite authors is Brandon <laughs> Sanderson and he wrote three he wrote he finished off the Wheel of Time. And right, it right. just, it's just, I'm just, there's three Brandon Sanderson books I'm never going to read because there's like right. 14 Wheel of Time books separating me from them. And, uh, right. Yeah. And there's also a thing when I was yeah. reading the Wheel of Time and it was like these four youths from a little remote village setting off to, on a mystic voyage with a magic user and a strange, you know, wanderer who's the heir to some secret kingdom. And there's like a ominous spooky volcano and i'm like where where does where do you get your crazy ideas from robert jordan where have you got these, <laughs> these unique yeah. fantasy concepts so it was yeah and, and obviously all fantasy is a little bit in in thrall sure. to, to to old jir but it's i felt that that was yeah. particularly so so i struggled a little bit with that but that is awesome yeah, I, that I think, is not not unlike my yeah. own experience I, I made it through four books but uh but i definitely had had some of that feeling all right, very good. Well, we accept all kinds here, Neil. You do not have to be a slavish Dune pod, uh, or a sl- you have to be a slavish Dune pod fan, but you don't have to be a slavish Dune fan. Yes, if yeah, that makes that's sense. Right. All right, here we go. Rango is the quest to understand who you are and who you can become. Our story begins when a lonely lizard with an overactive imagination and a natural predilection for inhabiting the dramatic roles he dreams up, finds himself unceremoniously freed from his terrarium and left to survive in the cruel high desert. Wandering into Dirt, Nevada, a desperate western frontier town on the brink of collapse, the lizard seizes on the opportunity to assume the mantle of a tough-talking, efficient-shooting hero of the people. Now, deputized by the mayor, he will be forced to lead the downcast people in their struggle to survive as their water supplies are ruthlessly shut off by the evil mayor. Only if the lizard faces down a ravenous hawk, Balthazar's flying batmoles, the deadly enforcer Jake the Snake, and toughest of all, his own shortcomings, can he become the legend he was meant to be. Rango. Rango. That's great. Well done. Rango. Woo. 
Not as hard as Southland Tales. No, this one has a pretty clear <laughs> three-act structure and a story. <laughs> Neil, what is your history with Rango? Why are you obsessed with this movie? I just love it, to be honest with you. It's it's one of those movies where I, I, I don't quite remember how I first came across it. I know I didn't see it in the cinema. I think I just picked up the DVD on, on a whim because I love uh, Westerns, and it was kind of held up as this weird alternative Western. And I just... The first time I saw it, I just loved it. It's one of those movies where you watch it and then a few days later, you're like, I think I'm just going to watch Rango again. And I think I watched it like mm. a few times in that first chunk of time. And since then, yeah, it's just been a movie I come back to. If ever I, particularly if I'm going through any like big life changes or I'm having like a bit of an odd sort of time of it, I, I like to put Rango on because I think it's got a lot of little kind of messages in it's 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 a movie that i uh it's it's very much uh, a comfort movie for me i think it's a movie that mm. i revisit quite a lot hmm. Hmm. awesome and jason this was another blind spot for you right i i it's not as blind as, as southland tales uh where i would thank god blind myself the <laughs> the this movie was one where i definitely remember the marketing campaign for it and mm. saw the trailer for it quite a lot um when it came out and then just didn't go see it in the theater and like didn't know anyone who had seen it. Um, and so it didn't have like a particularly positive opinion. I was like, oh, it must have been a dud. Um, but then it turns out, one, there are a lot of just secret diehard Rango fans or maybe not so secret, like people who love this movie and, and want to, uh, you know, cape up for it. And two, it wasn't a flop at all. Like the movie did well and won awards and like was was quite successful. So it was just like, yeah, just one that sort of. Um, I, I, it skipped, it skipped me somehow. Um, but yeah, I was excited to see it for the pod this week. I had a very, uh, you know, for me, I was very aware of it. It looked really cool. I did not know that Deacons was involved, um, originally. Um, and I knew that they were going for a different vibe than most, uh, animated films were going for. And I thought it was really gorgeous. Um, but I just never, I never got to it. Um, so this was just quickly cast and crew. So written and directed, uh, Gore Verbinski, uh, the director of the ring, the pirates, uh, and the lone ranger. Um, and you know, obviously like as big of a Hollywood, uh, director as you can get in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And then the story by John Logan, who did Gladiator, Star Trek Nemesis, Last Samurai, Skyfall, and Alien Covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Half mm. half of which are good uh, of that list. I was going to say, that's a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, because Verbinski in particular, because he uh, just, you know, self-immolated after the Lone Ranger and was like, right. you know, was never allowed mm. to go see a movie again, let alone direct one. Um, he, you know, I think this movie also suffered from, um, from, from that. Mm. In, yeah. in retrospect, in cultural, in cultural weight. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's true. So, so this is quite interesting. So he really wanted to do an animated film. He thought it would be easier to do that. And so it was kind of amazing. He teamed you up. You fool. With, yeah. He teamed up with John Logan and they spent 16 months at a house in the Hollywood Hills where they basically had like a small crew. It was like eight or 10 people. And they basically did the entire story reel for the movie. Um, and then we're using it to get greenlit as an independent feature. Um, 
teaming up with ILM, who had never done a feature-length animated film, but they had done so many special effects-driven movies that are essentially animated films that they were they were on board to do it. He ran out of money, and so they went and got Brad Gray from Paramount, um, who bought it for Nickelodeon Studios. They completed it, um, and they were able to get up and running. Mm. That's really cool, yeah. The success of Rango led to Paramount actually making its own animation division. Um, mm. I guess of which like the SpongeBob movies are the most successful okay. exponent. Okay. Um, mm. But yeah, they were like, okay, this is great. We love this. It's just mm. a, it's a, it's a really weird one. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a PG, you know, it's a PG rated animated film that's very much not for kids. Like it, it, it's not like it's, you know, yeah. I, I'd heard it wasn't for kids. Uh, we said that on the pod last week and I, I wouldn't be necessarily opposed to showing it to my kids. I think some of the snake stuff is a little scary maybe, mm-hmm. but like the, it's just like, there's a lot of jokes in it and a lot of just like the overall tone is clearly just pitched to an adult audience. Like I, I defy you to name another animated kids movie or kids movie of any sort in which one of the characters says, look into my eyes, I want to see you die. Like, that's just not normal to lie. <laughs> in which yeah. you see appear yeah. at a, in a movie for children. It's not in the SpongeBob movies. It did, they didn't make that a through line that's, through the rest of the yeah, animations, no. as far as I know. It wasn't their, like, I'll be back callback line that they just kept putting <laughs> in. No. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I just want to call out for the behind the scenes, um, they shot... Uh, instead of having them record in the booth for the audio, they actually shot mm. the movie over 20 days. They went into a studio and they had them putting on hats and little costumes and stuff and then basically just running around doing it, which I think they did for some of the Avengers stuff uh, with Thanos as well. Um, but this is what uh, they described. Instead of motion capture, it's emotion capture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> It's Clever. interesting because this is, and this is this is a sentence that's going to date me a little bit. But if you watch the special features on the DVD, uh, that's all on there. The footage of them shooting it, and it's it looks like just mm. like a little. It's like they're doing a stage production of Rango or something. It's really cool to see. It's it's yeah. It's yeah. really interesting how they how they do it. Yeah, I, I actually thought it was awesome. And there was a description of how like normally an actor walks in, they do a line, and then they go to their trailer. Um, and basically they were just like acting again. They were like, it was like they were back in a stage play. Um, so I think that's pretty groovy. So obviously the reason why we were interested in this was that Roger Deakins, um, was involved and basically Roger, you know, looked at the story work that they had, looked at all of the environments, um, that they wanted to have, you know, the high desert inside a saloon, you know, um, you know, in the middle of town or whatever nighttime, um, and then he did consulting on them, working with how it should be lit, how it should be shot. And it's pretty amazing, um, some of the details. And we'll get into it a little bit more. But like one example, um, Deacons on uh, the Team Deacons podcast. And I remember Gore ringing up one day because he was like a bit distraught because the scene in the bar and, and he said, it's just not working. It's just not working. And uh, we'd done some references for it. and then But then I watched it on the, on our dedicated uh, server right and um yeah it was a bit confused so basically i took some still frames from the scene put them in photoshop and kind of relit them in a very rough way and and talked to tim in um at ilm and um you know we worked out remotely so just a concept of for you to be able to like call up 
Roger Deacons and say, hey, dude, check this out on the server and have Roger like whip up some Photoshop with some light work and get back to you. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I no, wonder, that's it, amazing. It is, it's an interesting, and he never did an animated one again, right? Like this is a one and done. No, he has. So, so I didn't realize. So he started out, it's pretty fascinating. He started out with Wally. That was the first one he ever did. Oh, Andrew Stanton. Interesting. Did he do Wally? Yeah, and this I had no idea. Well, he, he he consulted on it. He so consulted on it. Yeah, and he's not the okay. he's not the DP on this. He's not the DP on Wally. But basically, he was talking about how this is really fascinating. He said they recorded this the opening. He wanted to be really stark, right? He's establishing that the Earth is a trash heap, um, and that it's a total disaster in Wally. Um, but he said, Deacon said they they recorded the kind of the way the camera moves on a dolly on a little crane or something. They recorded that kind of the dynamic of that so instead of creating that on a computer they were taking the mechanical way the camera was moving and imposing it on those shots that they were creating in in wally so that's why it felt like the camera was moving like a live action camera and not just floating around like a computer camera which wow. is just fascinating to think about how they are you know laying these things out and even him talking about working with different artists from scene to scene to ensure that they're doing the same types of camera moves. They're using the same kind of like a lens so that you have consistency over the course of the, of the picture. Mm. But he later did uh, the three um, how to train your dragons. Um, and, and they've done a couple others as well. Okay. Mm. Mm. All over the place. Go mm. Deacons. All right, well, let's get into this. So this film starts with this great mariachi intro. Love these guys. Mm. Really good. And the, yeah. the music the music is great. Uh, and the kind of key things for me, the big takeaways, one, the smoke effects in this and the lighting are amazing with the giant Rango logo in, in stone in the background or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also just the assertion that he's going to die. We are gathered here today to immortalize in song the life and untimely death of a great legend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your low-calorie popcorn and assorted confections while we tell you the strange and bewildering tale of a hero who has yet to enter his own story. Neil, that that's kind of sets things on edge very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of um, it, it's it's sort of that Greek chorus approach where they're sort of telling you the kind of movie that you're that you're going to see, uh, s- and not just how what they're saying, but how they're saying it. You know, they're singing it. It's like this ballad. It's this. Int- it really sets, I think, both a tone and it sets this over sort of arching thing of doom because it's just in the back of your head the whole time that you've been told that. Ra- well, certainly I. Re- remember the first time watching that you've been told that Rango is going to die and they keep coming back to that, that this guy doesn't make it to the end of the movie. And, uh, right. mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting effect, I think, because it completely changes the way you view so many of these scenes early on. Totally. I think for me, this was like, this movie was like sort of the anti crawl effect that we've talked about with a number of <laughs> films where like, you know, I, I, I did not start off this movie being like, oh, this is going to be the best movie ever made. I was kind of like, wait, what is this weird ass shit that is happening with these singing owls and like the overall thing that's going on? I was not for the movie uh, in the first like 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes of the movie. It's the rare movie that I think gets all stronger as it goes along. Like, I think it, mm-hmm. I think it pretty much for me, my enjoyment of the movie ramped up continuously um, through uh, through the climax of the film. Uh, and that's pretty, that's pretty hard to do. 
Um, so yeah, they, it's, but like it definitely like tonally sets you off with like, this is just going to be very strange. Like this is just going to be a, a deeply weird movie. Hmm. Yeah. Agree. Agree. So, so Neil, your first, your first impact on, on seeing, you know, Rango, him on screen and, and his performance. It's cool. Cause like, obviously the first time we see Rango, it's sort of like the hero who's yet to enter his own story and it cuts to Rango in the, in the glass. And there's so much of that, that kind of, I guess foreshadows, if not the plot events of the movie, but definitely the emotional journey that, that Rango goes on over the movie that he, Mm-hmm. wants to be a hero but he's kind of surrounded by he's not surrounded by real people he's surrounded by a, a dead bug uh clockwork fish a headless mannequin and i think that's it I think there's something else but i can't remember so uh, it's not like it's not like a palm tree a palm tree that's it yeah so he's got these he's got these things around him and it's about like i think he's he's kind of just posturing and he's sort of trying to be this hero, but he's just in no place to do it. And I think it, how he kind of gets that point is, is kind of the point of the movie and how, what he thinks of as being a hero is not quite what being a hero actually is. And I think that's all there from the word go. And that's one thing I've really enjoyed. I think that's why I do like watching it so often is there's so much stuff there that is, it's a really layered movie. So I do really like, hmm. I think that opening scene is really good for that. Hmm. They're doing Twelfth Night, Jason. Is that right? Who is doing Twelfth Night? Oh, the, in the 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 play that he's doing. Yeah, he talks about Malvolio, uh, hmm. which 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 I saw yeah. as a character in Twelfth Night, but I wasn't sure if yes. that's what it was. I think that's right. Yeah, okay. I'm not going on. I'm not going on the record with any more illusions. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've suffered too much in recent weeks. I, yeah. I I'm illiterate. I can't I can't read. Jason it makes one mistake and it's all over. It's over. <laughs> I'm it's retired. actually an adaptation well, of a T.S. Eliot poem, right? Is that what it is? God yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so yeah, so he he has this realization with him being kind of fake about this and not being clear on what his role is uh, other than being, quote unquote, the hero. Um, and he says, that's it, conflict. Victor, you were right. I have been undefined. People, I've had an epiphany. The hero cannot exist in a vacuum. What our story needs is an ironic, unexpected event that will propel the hero into conflict. And then we have the car crash, uh, the revelation that he's in a terrarium and falling out the back of the car as Ave Maria plays out. Yeah, this is all just very like conceptual, like as an mm. opening to a movie. Like this is all very like postmodern, uh, which is again just a wild way to open uh, children's yeah. kids movie. So, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, and that kind of continues throughout. I think throughout, there's all there's constantly these little postmodern comments where a character will say something that reflects on the action. Like there's that scene that you're talking about there, where he says he needs a shocking event. But there's also the moment later on when in the in the bar where he's kind of creating the Rango character, and he turns to the screen and says he's telling the story of how he apparently killed the Jenkins brothers one bullet, and he turns to the camera and says this is where it gets complicated, and it cuts to the start of like the conspiracy story in the bank. So he's literally telling you this is where the movie is about to get complicated. And there's just so many right. cool little details like that, that I throw out the movie where it comments on what's going on on the postmodern level as well. Nice. I like it. Well, I, I definitely, that, that car crash definitely hit me. We have the introduction of the armadillo roadkill played by Alfred Molino, who, who I think is great. Great. Really good. Yeah. Love, love him. And just the whole thing, like trying to get across the road and like bouncing around the cars, the cameo from Hunter S. Thompson, uh, with Johnny yeah. Depp playing Hunter S. Thompson and the, con- I it. urge you to, 
as your lawyer, I advise you to get a convertible. Love that. And then heading into the desert and this introduction with the Falcon attack. I'm watching this when he gets inside the Coke bottle um, and you see both as he's as he's running the wall of the Coke bottle, the visual effect of that. Um, and then even as it splits open, the animation is stunning in this film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The, there's a lot that's really good. The, the animation's really good. Uh, and all the character design is really good. Like there's a lot of like really like thoughtful, like stuff that they put into just the way, like which feathers look on people and like the overall, like kind of way in which they've cartooned, uh, the animals uh, in this that is it is like un- unique and and special for this movie. That was a production design by Mark Crash McCreary, um, who did Galaxy Quest, did Hulk, and then did the Pirates oh, wow. movies. Oh, he, wow. he did all the character designs, uh, which were really really amazing. Well, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. There's definitely mm. a bit of overlap, I think, if you look at like um, Davy Jones' crew in the second Pirates movie. Yeah, I was gonna these, say. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. You had John Knoll from ILM who, uh, you know, did The Matrix and a bunch of other stuff as well, um, but did the Pirates movies and then was the lead on this as well. So it's just a huge amount of overlap for that for that crew. And I just love how ugly everyone is. And I mean that in like a good way. I think Mm -hmm. the fact that all the animals in it, they're not like they're not like Zootopia type animals or Zootropolis type animals. which I think is what it's called in America. Uh, it's um, it's it's they're all kind of like ugly. Like the rabbit's only got one ear, and there's the turkey that's got the arrow yeah. coming out of his eye. They're all kind of like weird and kind of gross looking. And it's I think it's really it's really cool. It reminds me of like in the Sergio Leone movies where mm-hmm. apparently he would just hire extras on the basis of if he was filming somewhere and he saw someone that had an interesting face, he'd be like, oh yeah, you can be in the movie. Because he just wanted yeah. right. that kind of weird sort of visuals to it, vibes, and, and I think it's that it's the animation equivalent of that. All these just cre- these ugly little creatures that are still so cool and interesting to look mm. at. Mm. So he arrives in dirt, and this is like this small Western dirt. Cla- <laughs> classic Western frontier town. I think they they missed an opportunity with like a population. It would have been cool to show a population mm. count yeah, like sixty eight or something, yeah. and then like cross it off and like mm-hmm. show the numbers decreasing or something. So maybe in special edition, but um, you know <laughs> maybe he walks in the special edition. He walks through the town. We have a whole ministry of silly walks moment with him kind of impersonating yeah. everybody. That was really fun. We have a split diopter shot in the saloon. Oh yeah. That was cool. This is also like, it it is very, they're doing a lot of classic Western tropes, but it also reminded me, this is when I started thinking of Mad Max a lot. Um, Mm. And this as well was like, you know, the stranger comes to town and like, you know, it's the town without water where the water's being hoarded or whatever. And like, everyone's like a little bit tweaked. Like everyone, not everyone's like a little bit (laughs) wrong in Mm. some way. Um, and so it started reminding me of like, Fury. It's, I was getting like Fury Road vibes mm. at that point. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Witness me. Uh, so, so Jason, as he's walking through the saloon, um, one of the poker players hands is revealed as aces and eights. Aces and eights. Is yeah. that dead man's hand? That's the dead yes. man's hand. Yeah. And so it's, is it a good hand or a bad hand? Well, two pairs of fine hand, uh, just generally. But I mean, the reason it's called the dead man's hand is it's allegedly the hand. The, Bill Hickok. According to, uh, yeah, according to rumor, it's the the hand that that Wild Bill was holding when he was shot uh, in Deadwood. Um, but there's no that that's like a rumor that was invented 
after his death. Got it. But if you have pocket ace and eight, is that a good you, you coming in on that one or? If you have an ace and an eight, well, I mean, so they're playing like they're playing five card draw, right? As opposed to okay. Texas Hold'em. But if you have a you have an ace and an eight, yeah, that's a that's a playable hand for sure. And if you flop an ace and an eight, you're stoked. You're going to get the money in. All right, I like it. Neil, yeah. you play any poker? What's going on? I have not really ever played poker. I think it's one of those things where I played it. I've played it once or twice, but I think I I don't understand the rules well enough to be able to bluff because I don't understand what? whether I have a good hand or not. So. <laughs> Like, it's like, I could be, I could be, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I don't know whether to pretend I've got a good hand or not, because this could be a bad hand. So yeah, I've, I don't think I have the skills for it, but I would like to try it. I'd like to learn it properly at some point. It seems like it's just a cool thing to be able to do, isn't it? To play poker. So I feel like it's something I should probably Poker's fun. Learn. Super yeah. fun. And if you don't know your hand is good, then you can just bluff, you know, anyway, you can just bluff thinking it's good. Oftentimes mm. people who don't who have less familiarity with playing are. Uh, are more prone to bluffing because they don't know the strength of their hands. So just whatever, do whatever. Okay. What what does Bond play? Bond he plays baccarat or something. Baccarat. Baccarat's yeah. just gambling on coin flips. That's not a real. That's not even a real <laughs> thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's like it's that, that's one of the corniest things about James Bond is that like he's like oh the sophisticated baccarat player. It's literally gambling on the flip of a coin. Like there's not. It's not a real. It's not a real game of skill by any definition. But. Sure, he looks he looks good. Dude. I believe as well that martini shaken not stirred is a is a bad martini also from what people tell exactly. me. Exactly. So, yeah, James Bond's <laughs> just a poser, is what they're saying. I think that gets me yeah, kicked out of the country like, for saying that. But I think what James Bond. A few James Bond. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember I remember when Casino Royale came out and they then they switched it to Hold'em and I was like, all right, I get what you're doing. Like I understand why you're you're doing that. Yeah. Like it didn't seem like it made sense, but it also like it translated for a modern audience. Mm. Yeah. I like the one in I like in Goldfinger where they play gin. I like the idea of gin being like a sophisticated. People do gamble. On, people do gamble a lot on gin. Um, but yeah, I, li- I like that. That seems like old timey and weird. So uh, so Rango has the opportunity here and he seizes upon it to invent himself, you know, when he is questioned. Uh, and so I just love this. You know, where'd you say you're from? Me? I'm from the West. Out there beyond the horizon. Past the sunset, the far west. So no, my hair suit little rodent friend, I am not from around these parts. You might say I'm from everywhere there's trouble brewing and hell waiting to be raised. You might say I'm what hell's already raised up. Name's Rango. Then he enthralls everyone with the story of shooting seven brothers with one bullet until Bill, played by Ray Winstone, and his posse show up. And I just, I love this scene of him swallowing the cigar. I didn't see it coming. The way he taps his finger as he's choking on the cigar and then belches the cactus water into his face. It's just awesome scene. I like the cactus water belch oh. myself as well. That mm. was a good one. One of my favorite bits is, <laughs> nice. is, I love the bit where he kind of like, takes the cigar out of Ray Winston's mouth and there's just this pause where he's like, I haven't thought what to do next. And he just kind right, of throws right. it in his mouth because he has no idea what he should do. Because I think I think we've all kind of been in that moment in life where we do something and we think, oh, I hadn't really thought that through. What's the What, what happens after this? So it's it was a very... Right, right. right. Yeah, I really like that moment. And then just him trying to put out the fire after he sets fire to Ray Winston's face and he's hitting him with the thing and it just gets what it's yeah awesome oh, yeah 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 where he's like sl- smacking with the rag smacking uh, with the, yeah 
<laughs> really funny. So they have a big showdown, and we have the hawk attack. So Jason, tell me about uh, you know just this whole scene. Hawks. Yeah, the Hawks and, and the Raising Arizona theme comes back again with the banjo. Yeah, that's cool. There's a lot of musical references in the uh, in this. There's like there's the Raising Arizona reference. There's the Flight of the Valkyries reference. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot that they're doing with the musical cues uh, in this movie. And again, it is like meant to be like the movie is like this very elusive referential movie, which I guess a lot of kids are. But like the movies that it's referencing are like mm. so heavy in some way. Um, that I find, I, I found that pretty fun. Yeah. Mm. But that scene is just fucking awesome. Right. With the Hawk right yeah. around town and, you know, like, I don't know, just the animation there, like being trapped in the vending machine and stuff like just really clever and fun. Yeah. It's great. I love it. I think Gore's so good at like set pieces. Like if you watch the pirates movies, there's all these, all constantly these amazing set pieces, even like the Lone Ranger, which is not a very good film the beginning and ending set pieces in that movie are incredible. And I think it's just Mm. really cool to see his imagination for that put to like animation where there isn't really the same budgetary restrictions or uh, kind of practical restrictions. And the stuff he does with that, I think just throughout this movie are really, really cool. Totally. Totally. Um, So he goes and he meets with the mayor. I love Ned Beatty. So as a kid, uh, you know, obviously Ned Beatty as Otis in Superman 1978, life changing performance. Um, But he is really menacing in this. And I think his wheelchair Mm -hmm. is so cool with like the grippy things. Yeah, he looks great. And his face looks great. I like his I was spending a lot of time looking at people's like face scales in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> like trying to figure out like sort of is it skin is it scale like where is it is it folded he would be a good like sort of god emperor model too mm. he had kind of that wormy cowl face mm. that's my dune tie-in for rango <laughs> i like it i like it um so so just to accelerate here so there's obviously the mayor's is basically controlling the water we have this god damn it we have this awesome scene with a water ceremony with a clock tower uh, that's really creepy. Sounds like Stranger Things, and then this this bizarre dance that they're that they're doing. Um, but essentially, water thieves played by Harry Dean Stanton steal the water from the town, um, and so you know, what, what do we, we do, do now, now, Sheriff? Now we ride, uh, and they are off on their roadrunners, and they're riding. It, you know, and, and like having a great time. And then they're like, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> and they pull the bottom uh, out from under them. So I love this, the environments and the Western influences. So Deacons uh, said it was a great blend of old film Western classic sequences, the searchers, high plains drifters. And it really blends in this children's story about this little animal. Uh, I thought it was great. I just, yeah. I, I love yeah. that. I liked it too. I liked all the visuals of going in the canyon. I love the part where the the folks rise out of the ground. Uh the, oh, the, the yeah. zombie the the the, yeah. the zombie the zombie moles or whatever. Yeah. Like rise out of the ground and they have that chant that's like, you know, whatever, kick them, gnash them, punch them in the eye or something like that. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. Wild shit. Like, <laughs> really going for it. Yeah. yeah, and then I think I think there's the bit where they come out of the ground, and I think Rango says something like, "I think the chromosome pool around here is getting a little dry or something." And I yeah, think, oh, yeah. Nice. not a joke you want to explain to your children, I would imagine. No, there's a lot <laughs> of jokes like that. There's a, well, before they even get there, there's the joke about like 
uh, do you need your prostate examined? Like there's like a pro- right. there's like a prostate exam joke in this movie. Yeah. Like there's a so lot of weird. strange jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're gonna get that uh, when you're when you're doing this this kind of uh, you know genre mashup uh, and, and I guess so. um, it, it it's worth noting that Gore Verbinski, in addition to um, the shakiest gun in the West, fistful of dollars, good, the bad, and the ugly, once upon a time in the West, Cat Baloo. Gore also cited El Topo as a major influence for this film. Oh, okay. It makes sense. So we still haven't watched it uh, for the bod, but any, anytime Jodorowsky is, uh, is in the mix. Yeah. Is, uh, Jodorowsky definitely needed to make a kids an animated kids movie. That's what he was. That's where he was. Didn't, he hasn't gotten to <laughs> the genre. He yeah. hasn't tackled. The next documentary is going to be called Jodorowsky's Shrek. And it's going to yeah. get into what. You're oh my god, it'll be amazing! Yodo plays Shrek himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so so they go on a complex mission. They steal the water, and they're getting the water back. This is where we have this amazing flight of the Valkyries on banjo. Um, mm. Big pod race vibes in this scene where yeah, they're, they're cruising definitely. through Beggars Canyon. Yeah. I love this scene. This is such an incredible scene, I think. Yeah, like, and I think this is, you were saying, Jason, this is really kind of felt Fury Roadish for me when I was watching yes, it on definitely. this viewing. This felt very Fury Road. There's, when you see the bats flying down into it, it feels a bit like the, the, another Star trench Wars run. scene. It feels like the trench run. There's, mm-hmm. there's so many little illusions and references to it. It's, yeah. And I love the the toad hanging off the side of the, the wagon and he's spinning his shotgun around like the Terminator in Terminator 2. To just oh, reload it and fire wow. at the same time. Yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. When I saw that when I was like 12 or 13, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And yeah, at 34, I'm still pretty cool, I think. Even when it's an animated toad doing it, I think it's still a cool scene. Cool <laughs> scene. That's really funny. I haven't rewatched T2 in a long time. Um, yeah, it's got to tra- come up for us eventually. Well, no, I'm, I'm reaching out to uh, to dear friend of the pod and Arnold compo- Schwarzenegger, composite artist <laughs> on Rango, Todd Vaziri. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. Mm. Todd worked on Rango. Yeah, I think it'd be great to get him for T2, um, an important CG uh, milestone for cinema. Um, so... They end up getting back. The mayor shows him uh, the development that he's working on. And th- there are some serious, uh, you know, Chinatown illusions um, that are going on here. Um, but ultimately, Jake, played by Bill Nighy, Jake the Snake, shows up and exposes Rango as a fraud, um, leading mm. him to walk into the desert. The score yep. here in the nighttime as Rango is walking into the desert and crossing the road um, is freaking awesome you know hans just doing great work both with like moody uh vibe as well as the guitar work uh the electric guitar work that he does just super good Mm. yeah Yeah. really good that's how this came up i think originally uh for the pod we put it on the list for that so oh is that why yeah i think so so he crosses the road and he meets the spirit of the west played by timothy oliphant as clint eastwood yeah kind of a wild homage there but with a metal detector what's happening he's you know he's looking for coins like he's like looking for treasures out in the desert i wondered Mm. if that was like maybe because i like clint but i don't know everything about him so i wondered if that's maybe like a reference to is that something clint likes to do because he has the little like kind of golf cart type thing little director's cart so maybe he likes metal detecting i don't know 
I don't know about Clint's metal detecting hobbies. I just assumed it was sort of like a fun way of being like, oh, like it's like this old, old man and this is like a very old man thing to do is mm-hmm. like go out into the desert and like, you know, metal detect like as you see on beaches or other places. Mm. A cool thing about metal detectors, I think this was discussed in Discord, is like there's like leagues of these bros who go out and do metal detecting. And like if you lose like a ring or something uh, and you're like, oh, shit, I was like out in the swamp and I lost my ring. These guys will come out and like find your ring for you. Like, no problem. Like, mm. I'm on the case. This is like this is like their dream is like be of service uh, to go find lost objects. Uh, and they'll just like come. I don't know what kind of signal you have to send up, like magnetometer bat signal. You have to you, illumine in order to call them to your aid. Um, but it's something that happens. So I don't know. Shout out to you, metal detectors. I never saw the appeal, but uh, I guess some people like it. it. This just has this nice catharsis uh, where Rango says, but I can't go back. Don't know that you got a choice, son. No man can walk out on his own story. I love mm. that line. That's my favorite line in the film, that you it's can't great. walk out of your own story. Yeah. Yeah, really great. Um, So that's awesome. And then, you know, we have now the pilgrimage of the cacti. And I love this. This was like really magical and evocative, them kind of moving across the desert. Um, I thought was awesome. But so we see Vegas um, is revealed. So my question, what was the mayor building? If this is Vegas, like what what what's the mayor up to? What's his plan? I'm in reptile Vegas. Yeah, Animal Vegas, I think okay. that's, yeah. He's okay. building some sort of city, I think, is the idea. Yeah. I think so. I love the, I- for. the city yeah, of dirt. I love the idea that he's like the 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 reptile Steve Wynn, and right. he's like just sort of got a vision for like a, like a strip of casinos that he's going to build for hedgehogs and shit out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, like he's like the he's the fucking reptile Mo Green and gonna you know <laughs> I made this city it was a desert when I got here um, I love that I love I've watched that movie in a heartbeat I hope I, they should make a sequel where it's just like the or, <laughs> the or a prequel where yeah. it's like yeah the mayor coming to dirt and like how he made this town and put it on the map and like what sort of attractions he's gonna make uh, in the desert mm. I love all of those ideas they should make it good. immediately please. Yeah. Rango Cinematic Universe. That's right. Yeah. The RCU. Apparently, uh, he was specifically doing kind of a John Hughes uh, tribute um, from Chinatown, which I haven't watched in a really long time. Great movie. Mm. You heard it here first. Chinatown's a good movie. So Chinatown's pretty good. We have the final showdown. Rango reroutes the water. It explodes all the water into dirt. Basically destroys dirt with water, but I guess people are happy. Um, I love him. His final maneuver is doing the Heimlich because he kissed his girlfriend Beans. Um, and so she coughs up the bullet, which then breaks the glass. And we have our Mission Impossible moment. Um, mm-hmm. But that, it's just pretty awesome. Uh, you know, uh, a, a nice finale there. Rango doesn't die. Uh, and the chorus is forced to admit that, you know, maybe he'll die in a household accident. And so the laser <laughs> completes his journey from humble beginnings to the legend we sing of today. And although he's certain to die, perhaps from a household accident, which account for 65% of all unnatural deaths, the people of the village will always remember the name of the one who saved them. Rango. 
yeah. then we have credits. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a great movie. Uh, I really love the whole third act in particular. I think the snake design is phenomenal. Um, it's, yeah. I think it's a, a, a great a great villain who they sort of, and it's hard to do because they've built up the snake as like a big, you know, a big bad in the movie. And, you know, he shows up and he fucking milks his own fang for venom. And like, he's got a, you know, some sort of machine gun for a tail. Like he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and he's got I a little the show mustache. Got painted a little, on. Van Cleef, little Lee Van yeah. Cleef mustache. Yeah. And the, love that. The black. Yeah. Love, love a... the sort of everything that happens in the, the last 30 mm. minutes of the movie. Good stuff. Well, so Neil, that brings us to the key question. Who would Tilda Swinton play? Ooh, well, I was thinking about this. Uh, so, so one answer, without wanting to get into this in too much detail, is she could play Rango himself. I yeah, think. yeah. I think because firstly, she would be very good, and secondly, <laughs> without wanting to open any Pandora's boxes, we wouldn't have to deal with the <laughs> of it all in the sure. year twenty twenty two. Yeah. But setting that aside, I think I'd like to see her as Rattlesnake Jake. I think Bill Nye's phenomenal as rattlesnake jake i think he he i i think he um uh, i read i read something where he's, he's trying to do jack palance from like all those old kind of like 70s westerns like how he sure. says like, you know ain't no hawk how he like has that weird enunciation of yeah things. that's good mm. oh you did that well Ooh, that was I chilling think, oh thank you um i might just talk like that all tomorrow now just yes. to see, if, <laughs> see if anyone uh, picks up on it uh, but I think she'd be a great. I think I'd like to see her as. That's my pick. I think Rattlesnake Jake as Tilda, or Tilda as Rattlesnake Jake. I think would be would be my pick. Love mm. it, love it, Jason. Uh, I guess I would maybe have Tilda as um, the armadillo, the Alpha Merlin armadillo. The, yeah, yeah. Mm. Roadkill. This yeah. the roadkill. Yeah, I think mm. I thought that was a good character, and she would. It would just be like the right size for her. I think to dip in, she should do voice acting like movies like this in general though. So totally yeah. get on it, do some more cartoons. I like it. I think I would do her as the mayor. Um, I think that's mm. a nice meaty role that she could really, she could really go for, but I, I definitely, Neil, I love your idea of replacing uh, the actor who played Rango. Um, yes. That seems like a great idea. All righty. Uh, so also Neil, I think it's a good idea for you to get on top of that. Start using that accent tomorrow and start making Hawk. sure that you're, ho <laughs> yeah. you're hoarding water because the UK is, you know, like probably going to need to, uh, to watch out for that. Yeah. It's a yeah. really, it's a really timely film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. One, th one thing I'll note about this movie, just okay. one final note about it is it's on the topic of how well loved this movie is. Um, I was out to dinner with, some friends last night and uh they were asking what i was up to and i said well i have this podcast about dune always always be closing <laughs> um and they're like oh like what do you do i was like oh we cover movies and I'm like you know the, tomorrow we're recording about rango and the sommelier uh at the restaurant said was passing by and he stopped he's like excuse me i don't mean to interrupt but uh did you just say rango and i was like in fact in fact i did he's like i love rango I wow. absolutely love that movie. Wow. And I try to tell people all the time to watch it because I don't think enough people have seen it. And he's like, it's just so it's so it's funny and it's a beautiful movie. And I love that it's a Western and all of this stuff. And like, he's like, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just felt compelled uh, to let you know how much I love Rango. I was like, well, you should listen to Dune Pod. We're going to cover it. So shout out to you. Somalia. Patrick Assam. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, appreciate you letting us know your love for Rango and to all the other Rango lovers out there. Uh, we see you and support you. Yeah, I think that's because I think like you're saying, I think because it does seem like a movie that still, like he's like, like the Smelio said, it feels underwatched. So I think that's one reason why I think people who like Rango, such as myself, like to talk about it is because it's like people haven't seen this and I feel more people should because I think it's so more good. people should see it. Yeah. yeah. Well, get ready for the Dune Pod bump, Rango. <laughs> the Dune Pod bump is coming Dune for you, Pod Rango. Bump. Here it comes. All right. Well, what do you say? How about if we get into some letters? Let's do it. Hey, Doom Pod. Hey, Neil. Uh, wow. Season six continues to deliver some of the weirdest movies you guys have ever covered. Case in point, Gore Verbinski's Rango. Whoa. Oh, boy. Um, Kev's question this week comes from a blink and you'll miss it thing that I know you guys will pick up on uh, because H brought it up in the Chuckle Hut just now. Uh, early in the movie... Rango almost gets run over by Raul Duke's convertible from Fear and Loathing mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. That's weird and cool and interesting. So my question, who are your favorite cameos? Here's one of my favorite cameos of all time in the naked gun when Drebin is on the tarmac mm. and he's giving the press conference thinking that the crowd in front of the plane is there for him. And then the guy taps him on the shoulder and goes, no, no, no. Weird Al Yankovic was on the plane. And they swarm him like he's Elvis. Uh, anyway, Rango, you know, I, I've loved this really deeply weird movie since opening weekend where I sat in a crowded mm. theater of confused children and, and well-rested adults. And uh, my friends totally rejected it and fuck them. And that's <laughs> so, you yes. guys either liked it fuck or were just really like baffled by it. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Thanks. Love you guys. Take care. Once again, it's Kev's questions. Mm, that's good. Amazing. Uh, all right. Let's think. Best cameos. You know, a really good one. Uh, a one that was uh, when I saw it at the time, I thought was amazing. And I was at the right stage of life to appreciate this movie. Uh, was Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? Um, mm, that Yeah. He, he shows up as himself. Uh, yeah, and it's just like deranged. And this was sort of before the Neil Patrick Harris uh, renaissance. And so it was like it was like just perfectly delightful that he um, popped up in that movie um, and was like was hopelessly deranged and great. I love I love that one. Um, Jack Palance in the Wayne's World movie uh, is another one. Yeah, he shows up in which I forget is it the first Wayne. Kev will know for sure. Um, he shows up in whatever to do like a line reading. Um, I love that one. Uh, yeah. So those are good. I like those. Terrific. That that like Neil Patrick Harris one like kind of changed the trajectory of his career, I feel like. I think so. Yeah. It mm. showed that he was like in on the joke and it opened up a whole other way for him to be received. Mm. Yeah. Congrats. Neil. Congrats to you. Um, I think along similar lines that I don't know if, it's, if you call it a cameo, but I suppose it's like Neil Patrick Harris. Have you seen, there's a Key and Peel, the Key and Peel movie, Keanu. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, where they, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I, I know about it, but I haven't seen it. There's a bit where, because of some plot, they end up having to deliver drugs for this gang and they deliver it to this house and they open the door and, and well, it's this character played by Anna Faris and she's kind of playing this big sort of crazy character who's like kind of being abusive and like kind of just snorting drugs and just being like crazy. 
And after she's been doing mm. this character for like 10 minutes or so, um, Jordan Peele's character just leaves her and says, oh, by the way, I loved you in Scary Movie. And it just reveals <laughs> this whole time that she's been playing herself, which was not actually, yeah. like you're just assuming that it's someone else. But then it, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite. That's I awesome. Remember, yeah, really laughed at that because you just... It just Love comes it. out of nowhere. That, oh no, that's just supposed to be Anna Faris, which I thought was which thought was really funny. Love a it. A correction, a correction to myself already is that it's Charlton Heston and not Jack Palance in Wayne's World Two. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Uh, I am gonna uh, go. I'm gonna go with um, Tom Cruise, Tropic uh-huh. Thunder. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Like that's that, good, and it was really another. But similar to the Neil Patrick Harris thing, this completely changed his trajectory because he was sort of stuck in that Oprah couch moment. Um, mm-hmm. And then this was the beginning of like, oh, Tom can be funny and laugh at himself mm-hmm. and, and do his own thing. And he gives a great performance. So yeah, he's uh, great. Nice. All right. Thank you, Kev. We miss you, buddy. We miss you. Last week was incredible. You know what time it is. Oh my God. Hey, this is Corey from Austin, Texas. I was going to call in for Outland, but then a little bird named Kev told me that I'm mistaken. It's not Outland. It's Rango. <laughs> well, I've never seen Rango. Uh, I don't really know much about it. I do know <laughs> is the voice of a chameleon. And that's about all I know about it. Um, but I did go see the new Gore documentary. Yeah. Uh, which is very cool. Uh, but before the documentary, there were some really good trailers that I saw that I'm looking forward to. One is called The Menu. That one looks really good. Yeah. And then another mm. movie that's coming out, maybe you've heard of it, it's called 3,000 Years of Longing. It's the new Tilda film. What? Directed by oh, George Miller. What? Yeah. Is Elba also in it? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. It looks super dope. And I hear they're only going to show it in theaters. Does that mean no streaming for that movie? I don't know. Anyway, way off base. I, I promise next week I'm going to actually talk about the movie that you guys were watching on Doompot. We had a good run with Heat and Showgirls, and I kind of fell off a little bit. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'll be okay. back on point next week. Okay. Uh, talk to you all then. Bye. Amazing. Corey, Corey you-, you owe us nothing. You, yeah. You're always, you, you, whatever you do is sufficient. Have you even finished Wild Palms yet? Like that, that mm. is happening. I I do need to watch Wild Wild Palm. I need to get on. I need to join Corey. I need to move to Austin and basically just live with Corey. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe we can get a compound. Yeah, that could that mm. could work. All right, Neil, what do you have to plug, buddy? Uh, I I I don't know. Uh, if you're in the UK, come see Future Shock Wrestling. Uh, if you, if if you're wrestling inclined, or yeah, you can uh find Future Shock streaming on Future Shock Infinite, which uh is is got loads of good stuff on there. Uh, if you want to see me do some ring announcing, you can also type. Uh, you can find a lot of it on YouTube as well. Um, beyond that, uh, I don't I don't really know. If you're in need of hearing aids in the Chester area, the Chester UK area, then you know. Come along to uh, come along to to see me. Keep yourself cool and keep that beard growing out. We want that beard back. Uh, we saw those thirst traps you were posting out on the trail, um, mm. and you know it's like even more even more beard than than Jason was giving. Mm. Jason, what do you have? What do you have to plug, my friend? Uh, I will plug a book that I just finished, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, it was the Pulitzer Prize winner for last year, I believe. The Net and Yahoos by Joshua Cohen. 
um, which is about a fictional uh, history professor at a fictional college in upstate New York who hosts Benzion Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu's dad in the 60s, in, in 1960. Um, hmm. And uh, it's really fun. It's a, just a one. It's just amazingly written. Uh, like it's just unbelievable incandescent prose. Like the guy just writes the shit out of this book. Um, hmm. And then it's also just like a deeply Jewy book. Like it's a lot of like observed stuff about <laughs> like cultural cultural Jews that like felt very real and true to me. Um, a little bit of Israeli history thrown in for fun and it's just great it's like a real romp it's also really quick it's a fast fast read slash listen um, so if i so want to know you that. better that would be a, that'd be a yeah way to do it. exactly yeah join like l- learn more about learn more about me by reading right. the Yahoo's. i don't really know if that's true but it's it's a great book <laughs> all right all right neil thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure what a pleasure what a pleasure did you work up the uh the paul atreides uh ring announce uh i can sure i can <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure i can manage that so yeah hang on um <laughs> please welcome to the ring from arrakis paul i mean <laughs> yes. i don't know because like i say if you're a villain you start I was saying before we yeah, start, I don't know, is he a goodie? Is he a baddie? It's hard to. So let's say he's a you goodie. You make the call. Paul. You make. Ah, tradies! Yeah! Yes. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Neil for a great conversation. Next week, the prodigal son returns as we welcome home the OG spiritual advisor and movie insider, Crota Lexus. We travel to 1995 once again and tackle what a 25-year-old H thought was going to be the greatest movie ever, William Gibson's Johnny Mnemonic. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast because it really does help new listeners find the show more than anything. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.